0: plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: I was grasping at my instincts rather than actual like information. And so that has led to error, you know, and it has, my ignorance has, has been the root of any mistakes that I've made, but my heart has always been in the right place. And I also have, you know, I made that decision to be willing to expose my ignorance sometimes. Not to say that I knew I was being ignorant at the time, but the reason that I didn't, to take the path chosen by every other celebrity, which is to be completely silent about everything. You know, like even right now, with all this stuff that's happening to young uh, African-Americans over here, mm-hmm. the silence is deafening from celebrities.
2: Hello, and welcome to the Wannabe Podcast, a behind the scenes look at the opportunities available in the creative and entertainment industries, so you can get to where you want to be in 30 minutes or less. I am, of course, your host, Imrielle Morgan. There are very few episodes that I record that just shake me up inside and fill me with joy. But the two this season were Elaine Walteroff and last week's episode with Tasha Rico-Brown, whose hands are truly blessed. If you're trying to get into celebrity makeup, then hit her up. For the season finale, I am very excited to bring you this week's guest. Jamila Jamil is an actress, model, activist, and former BBC Radio 1 radio presenter. You might know her from T4 or as Tahani from The Good Place. Jamila is the founder of I Weigh, the platform and podcast that challenges society's definition of worth through weight by asking different thought leaders, performers, activists, influencers and friends how they are working through their past shames to find where their value truly lies. In today's episode, I wanted to learn about Jamila's resilience and she holds nothing back. Jamila is candid about her past experiences with family trauma, Being a carer and overcoming her mental health. She shares how she's able to be fearless and push past the constant online criticism she faces. We uncover what it takes for her to come back after she gets it wrong online. She also shares what it means to be a good ally in the height of Black Lives Matter and beyond. Let's go. Who did you want to be before you became who you are today and why?
1: I wanted to be a doctor. Uh, because I'm South Asian as fuck. Um, and I've always been fascinated with biology. I also grew up around a lot of sick people. Um, and so I think I probably wanted to work in the mental health space because I grew up caring for a lot of very, very, very mentally ill people. So that was always something that I, I thought would empower me and help me learn how to look after them better. But then I, uh, dropped out of school at 16. So... (laughs) That was a short-lived dream.
2: Yeah, I also wanted to be a doctor and quickly gave that up. I guess mentally ill people, I have a family member that had quite severe mental health issues um, and had to be hospitalised by me a couple Mm of times. Um, And that's really, really difficult. I feel like you don't ever quite learn all the systems, at least here in in, in the NHS, they don't really equip you with the tools to navigate that very well as a family member no. what was your experience like as like a carer was well, awful
1: because especially when you have to section someone which i had to do multiple times from the age of 14 onwards mm-hmm. you know you put them in these wards and the nhs the the you know i love the nhs obviously and i think it's the most exemplary establishment in the world maybe but the government underfund mental health so disproportionately mm-hmm. and so you know you have really really gross wards a lot of the time where you know in the height of summer there's no air conditioning in the height of winter Mm -hmm. there's no heating and people are locked in rooms together you know with people with very varying uh triggering mental health issues that might not be compatible with each other and the food is shit and the wards have bugs in them and you're just you feel like you are caging someone that you love and yeah and so it makes it worse definitely that the the institution you're putting them into is so underfunded by the irresponsible, shitty government. But also there is not any kind of setup whatsoever, a support structure for carers, however young they might be. And so, you know, you just kind of have to deal with the guilt by yourself. And as you get older, learn that you're doing what's best for them.
2: Yeah, I mean, I definitely have had a lot of time and therapy to come to peace with the decision I was forced to make because it was in their best interest but it is so difficult to kind of shed the guilt that comes with that I I guess I know because I know a fair amount about you there's been a lot of trauma in your life so I guess what were your coping mechanisms
1: I uh I well I used to stuff my face and then starve myself and so that was how I used to deal with I used to weaponize food And so food was love, food was rebellion, food was comfort, food was family, food was anything other than fuel. And then I would also then starve myself to take kind of control of my life. And also, as we know, I am very vocal about this external pressure for a woman to be thin. Otherwise, she's not worth anything and she's not mm-hmm. succeeding in her life. And I wish I could have looked back on that 14 year old and told her what an amazing job she was doing looking after so many mentally ill people by herself with no support, financial or emotional. But I didn't see that as something to be proud of. I just thought I had to be thin. I didn't think my scholarship was something to be proud of. I didn't think my behavior was something to be proud of. I just I just thought I had to be thin. So it's a kind of combo of being raised in the sort of heroin chic 90s and noughties and also just trying to deal with all of my feelings through eating or lack thereof. So I'd say it was predominantly that. And then and then mostly just humour. Humour was my survival tactic. So learning how to cheer the people I lived with up and also watching comedy and just sort of immersing myself in TV shows and just obsessively watching TV 24 hours a day, which I think is kind of weirdly, <laughs> like via almost osmosis, how I learned how to host and I learned how to act without ever training or trying. I just got those jobs immediately because I think i had been subliminally studying it, subconsciously studying it yeah. by watching that much television it was so weird at my first ever t4 audition I just knew what to do and I'd never I'd never done anything within media I'd never had any intention of doing anything in media and you know I didn't have any I hadn't gone to like a drama school or anything I just knew exactly what to do I knew how to work a teleprompter I knew how to hit my marks oh wow it was so weird though it wasn't like oh she's so talented it was like it was like a little freak who was just copying everything that I'd been watching so obsessively
2: for so many years did you get nervous at all
1: no, because I didn't think I would get it, you know, I really just went there because I thought Steve Jones was fit and I, uh, <laughs> and I, I, I thought um, a Pret-a-Manger had only just like really become a thing and I, I heard that they serve like Pret-a-Manger sandwiches at like fancy offices. So I think it was the combination of Steve Jones and Pret-a-Manger that even made me go in the first place and also I heard that it was a thousand pounds a day so I thought it would be funny to try, and I think that's a big part of my personality. Is that I don't really see any shame in failure. I never have. I've always thought failure was quite noble because it means that you were willing to try when there was no guarantee of success.
2: Yeah, you kind of run into the fire with your your views, your opinions, and the causes that you believe in. You really go go for it. Yeah, and it's, it's, when you, you make mistakes, s- you're quick to apologise. And yeah, you get you, you know. I think I think that's really quite admirable you're constantly being like under attack in some ways um for having an opinion and I kind of respect the fact that you're always coming back and being like you know what that time I was wrong but this is what I believe and this is what I know and I really really respect that so I thought I should just let you know that, that that's how I feel.
1: <laughs> Look, the whole issue with me and my outspokenness being consistently divisive, I've, there's so much to say on it. It's been so interesting to be in the middle of the machine. But basically, I've always just been a very opinionated person. That does not mean that all of my opinions are correct. I'm also hugely undereducated, not just because I left school, because that's not school is not the definition of education. But also, I'm not very uh-huh. well read. I was super mentally ill all the way through my teens and 20s. I didn't read. I was in chaos. I didn't know anything. I was just sort of like fairly bright and grasping at things that I just, I was grasping at my instincts rather than actual like information. And so that has led to error, you know, and it has, my ignorance has, has been the root of any mistakes that I've made, but my heart has always been in the right place. And I also have, you know, I made that decision to be willing to expose my ignorance sometimes. Not to say that I knew I was being ignorant at the time, but the reason that I didn't take the path chosen by every other celebrity which is to be completely silent about everything you know like even right now with all this stuff that's happening to young african americans over here Mm -hmm. the silence is deafening from celebrities yeah especially the celebrities who've like appropriated black culture the most like they're just the white people who could make a difference like silence just crickets yeah um people stay silent in this industry because it is a way to you know because I guess that way your fans can project this image onto you that you are a saint and you are fully informed and you are completely woke and you have all the right ideas and all the right opinions and so in you know silence creates space for us to presume that someone is perfect. And so that's why they don't speak in case they reveal their ignorance. I meet all these fucking people. I hang out with them. I work with them. I know what they're really like. <laughs> <laughs> they're not fucking they're not fucking progressive. <laughs> like But because they're silent, they never get to make the mistakes publicly. And I think there was a part of me that's just like, okay, I'm gonna just give this a shot. I don't know if what I'm gonna say is gonna be completely perfect, but I'm gonna say something because someone's got to speak out about this. And I might say it in slightly the wrong way or 280 characters might not be conducive to a proper nuanced argument, but I'm just gonna try because no one's fucking trying. No one's saying anything and no one's calling out like this just immeasurable amount of injustice. And so I'm going to make mistakes, but humans make mistakes. And I don't believe in the way that we have now taken cancel culture, which was originally such a brilliant thing. And what we've done is we've like diluted it. We've cancelled everyone. And so now you can't even find the real criminals anymore because you've just thrown everyone into the same pit. And we're never going to learn if we keep making people feel ashamed for either mistakes they made 10 or 12 years ago, or just for raising their hand in the first place. Not everyone knows everything about every single experience and that's okay the important thing is that we try and we keep learning and we keep being vulnerable and open.
2: No of course I've only had one experience of being flamed on Twitter and that was with an interaction with Nigel Farage many years ago during the Brexit stuff and after like 12,000 white people piled on me um, it really did silence me so I'm it's quite nice to hear you kind of say, you know, I have to keep coming back because it really put me off of politics. It really like it's, it took my voice. Like I removed myself from social media. I'm not as active anymore. I'm not as vocal anymore. I don't, I have opinions, but I don't make them public. And I guess, yeah, I've been kind of having this mental wrestling and I'm sure, um, because the work I did before was very vocal, very, very um, political mm. and politically active in many ways. But I've, I've seen like some of the people that used to listen to my other podcasts and used to follow me and follow my opinions and what I thought and I was really outspoken. Um, I think they saw what happened and also felt like I don't want that either. Like I don't want that kind of trauma or that that pylon.
1: Well, first of all, I'm really sorry that happened to you because it's fucking stressful when it happens and you honestly feel like the world is ending and you forget that only like something like 20% of the world is actually on Twitter, if not less. But and I've been through so many of those now that I'm I'm almost becoming yeah. some not even I'm actually not even becoming numb to them. They they are traumatic every time, but that's a deliberate tool, right? The point of of such mass pylon is to not only send a message to you to shut the fuck up but it is to also send the message out to everyone else this is why we do it in particular to women is like oh look this woman had an opinion so what we're going to do is we're going to destroy her life spread lies about her uh demonize her make her out to be a manipulative lying uh overly you know because they consider promiscuous to be a bad thing like they will make every single type of um, judgment over our entire being just to make sure that that sends a flare out like a warning shot to everyone else that says hey don't speak up because this is what's going to happen so I'm being consistently used as an example of why it's not a good idea to speak up because you will be dragged and ridiculed and blah 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 blah, you know if Mm -hmm. you if you do it and And first of all, I just want to make sure that I say like, that is why I keep going, because I'm aware that that is the system. If you look back through history of every single woman who's ever stood out, even not even spoken out, just stood out. Every single one of them goes through the same fascinating cycle of, oh, this woman has an opinion. Everyone, let's listen to her opinion. Then let's overexpose all of her opinions. Every single time she tweets or farts or queefs, let's make it headline news. (laughs) Let's bombard the world with every single thing about this woman. So it looks like she's sending out press releases constantly, which she isn't. And then uh, we will just exhaust her name to everyone until they're sick of her face. And then... After about a year and a half of grace, if that, we will begin the ceremonial dragging and witch hunt of this woman and we will start to spread lies about how she's difficult or a diva or manipulative or a liar or crazy. And it's happened literally every single time a woman has spoken out. There hasn't been, I mean, we're now accusing Oprah of being a sex fucking trafficker. That's how far we're going. But what I will say is that while it is somewhat perhaps admirable that I am willing to continue to get back up and keep going like the Terminator, it is also important to mention that I strongly suggest people continue to speak out, but I also understand that I have the privilege of access to very good therapy and I have a support system around me. So if you are someone who does not have a support system around you, who does not have the privilege of access to therapy, then do not put yourself in the firing line.
2: And I think that's fair. Like, yeah. I don't want you
1: to ever feel like guilty, I would say, for now having yeah. quiet and down. Just understand that you are another statistic and a rigorous system of oppression, especially because you're a woman of colour. And it's a system designed and there's nothing wrong with your decision to step back. That's exactly what they wanted. And you only come back if and when you feel ready. Yeah. Because it's also not worth risking your life for, you know, what happened to me in February where I went through what felt like just a repeated, it was like Twister, that film, you know, where it's like there's five tornadoes in one day and they just get stronger and stronger and stronger. That's what February was for me. Where first it started with people saying that I shouldn't be on this show Legendary
2: um yeah of course
1: and they were like you're you're not supposed to be on the show you're not part of the ballroom community which by the way I completely understand but they also just don't get that unfortunately these shows need people with big followings to guarantee advertising for the business people who make these shows I would have much preferred for someone from the ballroom community to take my place but because our society erases those people so heavily we don't they don't have the kind of followings that they deserve So while I and Megan Thee Stallion have these big followings, it feels irresponsible to not utilize them to shine light on the people who aren't getting enough attention. But people don't understand that.
0: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey.
2: I had read a little bit about it, and you're you're right. I think there's so much to show business and entertainment Mm. that I myself have also forgotten that there's more to the story and there often is kind of all of these little barriers Mm. and hoops that you have to jump through. And people are so quick to judge and assume that you can make a decision in a way that you can't always make a decision. Sometimes contracts are in place, which make things very difficult for people. And so I think, yeah, people are very unforgiving on social media when actually if you kind of look behind what goes on behind the scenes and all of the people that are involved and all of the decisions that get made that are kind of taken out of your hands yeah um some of the times it all kind of makes sense and when you explained that I was like yeah that that actually does make sense but I can also Understand and yes. why people were upset.
1: But I also completely understand. Like, I completely <laughs> yeah, get why exactly. they're pissed. Like, people are done with fucking waiting. They're done with needing allies. They are done with the injustice of needing someone else to usher them in. They're done with waiting for the privilege. They're done with being kept on the sidelines. So I completely understand. But I've also been a part of this system. I would never have the career I have if um, they just put me on television on my own. I always have to be surrounded by more successful white people. I was never going to get on T4. I was never going to get The Good Place. Like, it was never going to be a show about an Indian woman. (laughs) Like That's something we're we're now working
2: (laughs) on. It would have been amazing. Uh,
1: Yeah, well, you know, the point is is that there were two much more successful white people that were able to usher in a complete unknown. Yeah. This is just the fucking nightmare of this business. But it is a business. And that's what people forget. This is show business, not show fairness, you know, unfortunately. Yeah, of course. (laughs) I was the backup. You know, and I was happy to be that, but God, I got dragged. And then I, I came out yeah, and, yeah, at an inappropriate time. And <laughs> we don't need to go into that too heavily, other than the fact that yeah. it was just a human reaction of like people consistently calling me a straight demon. And I was like, I've never actually spoken about my sexuality before. And just so you know, the reason I care so much about this community, I'm not trying to steal from them, I care from them because I'm part of them. I've just never had the balls to come out. Um, I wasn't trying to deflect away from the controversy, I was just trying to say Please keep this in mind whilst you're dragging me that I'm not trying to hurt the LGBTQ community. I'm just, I love them and support them because I I understand their pain to the extent where I've never even felt safe to come out. And that's all I was yeah. trying to do. But again, that got twisted. Everything I do gets twisted into, she's the most sinister, evil, bucking, manipulative. The internet is sort of like 50-50 people who love me who people who I've helped or people who think that I am the ultimate brown, Karen.
2: Yeah, I, I guess... It- it definitely changed my perspective. It's why I read things like nonviolent communication now, yes, um, I'm and I try to practice that. empathy. <laughs> so good, so good. But yeah, having like more empathy and just being like, okay, this person's messed up, but their mental health is important. Their well being is still important. Like, why is everyone jumping in? And I, I definitely take a pause and a moment to kind of think about. You know what's going on, on the other side, and definitely some people don't deserve it because some people are actual arseholes. Yeah, but there is still there's still a human being at the end of it all, and you know, coming from the background I've come from and having to deal with mental health in the ways that I've had to deal with it, mm. I'm just, like I, I would hate to know that someone killed themselves or contemplated suicide off the back of something from the internet it happens too often now and it's just so tragic.
1: I know that I felt really suicidal in February after the Munchausen's rumours started about me that really hurt me in a way like I don't care if people think I'm a bitch I don't care if people think I'm an idiot I think a lot of the like vast rumours about me on the internet are hilarious but the Munchausen's one I didn't find funny at all because I've been sick my whole life and so being Sick to the point where you have at times wanted to take your own life because it feels so shit to wake up in pain every single day. And then to be gaslit so globally by strangers Mm. was so unexpectedly triggering to me. That really took me by surprise. And there's no amount of mental health care. There's no amount of support or money or fame or anything that could have protected me from how much that hurt. Because it's it's similar to telling a woman that she's not been sexually assaulted when she has. When someone has suffered something tremendously painful and then you are just told that it didn't happen. It was so mad to watch how fast everyone just was like, yeah, that checks out. Let's believe that. Let's believe that someone would make up the unsexiest lie about themselves. Like, how would that lie have benefited me? Why would telling letting people know publicly, including employers who have to get me insurance, which is fucking expensive, by the way, to hire an actor who's got Mm -hmm. health problems, I would cover that up. It's insane. that That's why I didn't speak about it earlier in my career, because I was so afraid of not being hired. But after a while, I was like, I have to make sure that I'm being fair to the kids who grew up sick like me, who think that there's no chance for them because the doctors have told them they'll never achieve anything. I should speak up about this. So it's why I started saying it in spite of the fact that it could have damaged my career. What a fucking crazy, stupid fucking lie would it be to say yeah. that I like... Why is it funny or cool to say you've been chased by bees if you haven't? What, why is there a finite number of times a woman can be chased by bees before people are like, everything about this woman is a lie? Uh, and why would I say I've been sick or I've had cancer if I hadn't? It doesn't get me more hired. It doesn't get me more attention. It doesn't get me more beauty campaigns.
2: Yeah, that's really it's harsh. It's so banal. Like ultimate gaslighting as well, yeah. So like- gaslighting is... <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, gaslighting is very, very scary and toxic, but it is very, very hard to be on the receiving end of a lie. And I think that's what it was, is the fact that it wasn't true. Some dickhead woman in New York just started this rumour about me to be finally and it just caught like wildfire.
2: Yeah, I will get onto the last question and let you get on with your wonderful day. So the final question is... What is the best advice you've ever received? And what's the worst advice you've ever received?
1: What is the best advice I've ever received? The best advice I've ever received is a doormat is already lying down before people wipe their feet all over it. Which was my therapist uh, somewhat victim shaming me. Um, But also explaining to me that I have some autonomy. I have some responsibility in how I allow other people treat me you know, people in my close circles or people externally that I have some power that I've been told I don't have in projecting like, Oh no, I'm not just going to, it's not okay if you continuously always show up late or if you never text me back or if you underpay me or if you speak badly towards me or if you trigger me or you don't respect my boundaries that I never used to know that it was my place to be able to say, oh, actually, that's not really acceptable. I didn't know that you are completely entitled to say how you feel and what you need to anyone who professes to care about you. And that you, you reserve the right to tell them what you need. And if they tell you that they will not meet you at your needs, then you don't need that person in your life. So her telling me that just changed my entire existence and completely brought out this unapologetic sort of demon in me who was like, right, if you're not (laughs) going to respect my boundaries when all I'm asking for is basic humanity and consideration, I'm not a very demanding Mm -hmm. person, then you're fucked. Get out of my life. I cut off family members. I cut off best friends. I cut off... uh, I left jobs. I left England. (laughs) Like, I... (laughs) I've done anything I've had to do to protect my mental health and no longer be that doormat. So I think that was some of the best advice I ever have was just like, make sure that you're not allowing this to happen. You can't blame yourself for it, you know, for people treating you badly somewhat, but also make sure that you're not projecting it. And I was someone who totally, totally used to just willingly accept abusive behavior because I'd been conditioned to as a child.
2: Oh, that's really powerful. Um,
1: I'm sorry no no I mean mean,
2: but I'm also glad
1: women isn't it you know we're just told look look at the earth like we treat the earth like shit because we think of the earth as a woman mother nature mother earth so we just take all her fucking resources push her to the fucking edge and then are amazed when she sends us a hurricane (laughs) <laughs> you know
2: yeah if we that's it, an astute observation I never looked at it that way actually that makes total it's sense it's not my
1: own it's my friend Sophie's who was doing a master's on climate but she you know she was like she genuinely believes that patriarchy has something to do with this and if we looked at the earth as masculine as not the thing that's supposed to just nurture us that we're supposed to feed off of and just take all of its resources that perhaps we would treat it with more respect but part of this drilling and abusive behavior comes down to the fact that we gender the earth.
2: Wow. Oh, that's interesting. I want to read more about that. Um, The worst
1: advice I ever received, that it is my duty to appease and to please everyone and to be liked by everyone. I think that was very, very toxic conditioning. And it's something that we don't give to men. It is something that we, you know, we, and this is a cliche at this point, it feels like a platitude for me to say that, you know, the whole, if a man is assertive, we, we respect that if a woman is, we call her bossy, nasty, a bitch. Those things really held me back. Feeling like I had a duty to be liked when I was younger, stopped me from getting to know myself. I wasn't just lying to other people. I was lying to myself, which I think contributed to my depression because I was detached from myself because I wasn't being integral. I was dishonoring myself in in eating shit all the time. Yeah. And so, you know, I think that's a big part of my behavior in the last couple of years has been like, you know what? Don't fucking like me. I don't care. As long as I get this law changed, you know, I'm working on two laws that I'm changing in a country that I've only been in for five years. And I've changed a global policy on Facebook and Instagram. And we're working on so many other giant policies that are going to emerge later this year. It's like, I'm here to do the work
2: Amazing. and it's
1: okay if you don't fucking like me or if you don't agree with every decision I've ever made. I'm, I'm staying on my path. I'm determined to help whoever I can. And it's all right if you don't want to be my friend. I've got 12 friends, but like Jesus, and that's all I need. <laughs> I don't feed off of approval anymore.
2: So I'll be perfectly honest. I have always had a tremendous amount of respect for Jamila. She gets a lot of backlash online and I cannot even begin to imagine. But she keeps fighting, apologising and trying and I cannot help but respect it. Be sure to listen to her podcast, I Way and follow her on Instagram at Jamila Jamil. My favourite episode is the one with Roxanne Gay and Billy Porter. For updates on Wannabe, follow Content is Queen on Twitter at Content and Instagram at Content HQ. If you are enjoying this podcast, please do leave a review on Apple Podcasts and share it with your friends via your Insta stories. Again, we've always pulled together some amazing quotes from the episodes, which you can reshare via Instagram and Twitter. To get extended show notes listing any of the tools and resources we've talked about on this episode, visit wannabepodcast.com. This podcast is proudly a Content is Queen production. As always, huge love and hugs to Ellie Clifford for pulling this episode together and also a happy birthday. And thank you so much for listening. Until next time, bye.